All right, howlers, let's get howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising saga. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email us, howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at howlerpod.com and rate and review us five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, then we won't teach you the mind's eye after we find it out. And now, Howlerpod. Oh! I think, as with all things, honor is best appreciated in moderation, as is cruelty. After all, there is no crime within a court. Hello, Howlers! Welcome to Howlerpod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Ow, ow! I am your host, Ben Reinert. I am joined today, as always, by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Low Howlers! All right, we already know it's character study time. It's part two. Part the Of the Lysander character study today. We're diving into the Howler mailbag. Yes, and we have some <laughs> harsh... Listeners, <laughs> we have some s- sympathizers and supporters, and we also have the you know traditional Lysander haters. <laughs> a lot of those. <laughs> we'll also be listening to voicemails, but we're going to start with our friends over at Hail Reaper Pod. Yes, they graciously agreed to duel for us. Uh, we reached out to them so that we could get you know, all the Lysander contributions possible. <laughs> and they did a kick-ass dueling for us. Hopefully nobody got too hurt. <laughs> I think only one of them lost an arm. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have Mickey on call, so we can just send him over. <laughs> Who's the Marvel guy with, like, the steel arm? Uh, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Ooh, he's hot in the movies. <laughs> yes, got great hair. Be- Bucky? What's his name? Bucky, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Anyways, I had a cool image of that. Hopefully, either Jeremy or Philip, whoever lost the arm, I hope now that you look like Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so a little background. We reached out to Jeremy and Philip, asked them to meet in the bleeding place and duel over Lysander. One of them thinks he's a pixie. One thinks he's prime. And one of them is my friend. <laughs> so let's hear it. Hey, everyone. My name is Philip, and I'm one half of the Hail Reaper podcast, and this is my good friend, Jeremy. Hello there. How's it going? Dude, it's going great. It's going good. We're on Hallerpod, bro. I know. I'm excited. We made it here. to the big leagues. I know. I'm so glad Ben and Aaron had us on. And they have us on to duel over Lysander. Yes. I'm a Lysander hater, and you are a Lysander sympathizer. Yeah, and let's put this in context, because I don't advocate slavery or oppression. I simply sympathize with his character. Sure you do. Right. Okay. So let's go ahead and get started, dude. All right. Let's get this thing rolling. So let's do a coin flip, man. Are you heads or tails? Always tails. All right. Here we go. Ah, oh, crap. It's tails, man. Tails. All right. You get first blood. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. Fight! I say Lysander is a pixie. I say Lysander is prime. 
So much of the Red Rising story is about overcoming your ancestry, overcoming your heritage, and being better than the previous generations. Eo says this all the way back in the beginning of the story. She says, live for more. And that's kind of like the embodiment of the entire kind of Red Rising saga, really. And, you know, and Lysander's character, he seems like he wants to do this at certain points, and he's offered the ability to do so through Cassius, his mentor, and also through Romulus, a character that does care about him and kind of shows him, hey, there are other ways to go about life. You don't have to go just this one way. But yet he rejects that. He says, you know, I, I'd rather just do it my way or the old way. His mantra wouldn't be live for more, it'd be live for the past. It'd go back to this nostalgic, idealistic way that I perceived the world when I was a child and that's what I'm gonna chase. I find that to be the most pixie thing possible because in his rejection of both Cassius and Romulus trying to show him a new path, he puts their lives in great danger. So it's like double pixie to me. I would agree with you that he does wanna live for the past. I mean, he comes from a place of order, from structure and from peace. And what does he have now? He has nothing. I mean, maybe you would say like he doesn't wanna live for nonsense because that's all that's going on right now. You've got a Senate that doesn't work with crap. You have the red hand. I mean, what a disaster that is. They used to be the oppressed and they've become the oppressor. And then you've got a civil war that's essentially starting through the outer rim. Like, what about that is something that he'd actually want? The reason why there's so much nonsense is because Lysander and his homies I believe in space racism. Like, essentially, to use a, a hollerpod term. <laughs> sure. So, um, like, that's the problem. Like, the, the world is really changing. You see this not over the course of just books four and five, but you do see it in book three as well. Like, Daryl has this quote that says, we are the tide and we are rising. And it's, it's really like emphatic and it's, it's true and it's permeating the greater world. And more people are allowed to have more agency and more status and not just golds. And Lysander is trying to restore gold order, not like world order. And that is a huge fundamental flaw. And I know you're not trying to, again, you're not trying to like say, oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> I'm good with that. You're not good with like oppression and slavery and tyranny in that sense. But if we are just talking about the character, that is a huge flaw in his thinking, in his way. And we have a character like Cassius, who, who made those mistakes, who was on the wrong side and says, man, I made those mistakes. You don't have to. Yeah, I, I would say Cassius isn't the example you want to be using. Because if you're talking about an example that he set up for Lysander, he failed on both ends. Within society, because he waffled back and forth, he was an utter failure. He lost the duel to Darrow lost his arm because of it he left in disgrace and now he's wandering space as a drunkard what part of that should lysander look up to and respect it's just more of like it's not it's not looking up to him it's looking at him as an example looking at him saying like this guy got screwed up from opposing the rising tide so instead of bringing order to the society bringing peace to the galaxy and becoming sovereign himself he should aspire to side with the, with the rebellion, fail, and live in exile, drunk in space for the rest of his life? Obviously not that. I wouldn't expect him to just choose that. That's ridiculous. But let's go ahead and look at his contemporary, which is Alexander Arcos. And let's move into my last point and your last counterpoint. Pierce Brown kind of creates this like underlying narrative here, like almost like a covert juxtaposition of these two characters, Alexander and Lysander. And you have a character in Alexander who is offered the peerless scar by his icon Darrow. And he says, you know what, man? I don't need it. I don't want it. I know who I am. I can go and be good and help people do good, do the right thing. And I don't need the tokenism of the scar. 
And you have the, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the character of Lysander just searching for that scar, like trying to obtain it from people that clearly don't like him, love him, care for him, and are actively trying to kill him in Ajax and Atalantia. And yet he's like trying to gain his agency, trying to gain that kind of respect from the scar. He doesn't, but he doesn't realize he doesn't need that tokenism. He doesn't need to just, he can just be who he wants to be. Because Alexander is showing you in this world, I, I don't need a scar to gain the merit, to gain the token. I can just go and be good. I can just do what I want to do and move freely in the world because that's what this world is now. Yeah, we're definitely looking at this from different angles because what you're saying is that he's kind of seeking out that scar. I don't think that's it at all. I think Atalantia, I think Ajax, I think these are, are vehicles to what he really wants. I, I see Lysander as intellectual and I would even say like manipulative. And I think he's utilizing the getting of the scar in order to get what he really wants. And that's the throne back. And this is simply a hoop that he has to jump through. He's in a very bad spot. He has to rise to prominence. And if he objectively looks at it, how does he do that? And this is the vehicle. So like all great debates, we ended exactly where we started. You're still sympathizing and I'm still hating. Yes. <laughs> so we want to thank Ben and Aaron for letting us come on. Thanks, and guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And we're going to jump out of here. I know you and I could probably go back and forth on this for at least 20 to 30 more minutes. And we have, actually, uh, off <laughs> podcast. Sure. We're going to go ahead and get out of here. You guys can find us if you want to listen to our podcast. It's called Hail Reaper, a Red Rising podcast. Until then, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper, guys. Woo! What a duel. Man, I'm I'm uh, even more a fan <laughs> Of Philip. Sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> Just kidding. Those were both um, really great points. You know, I I can definitely see it from both Jeremy and Philip's points of view. Right. And as always, thank you so much for um, some kick-ass space music in the background. <laughs> ben was dancing for a while. I had to tell him to stop so I could listen better. <laughs> Killing my ADD over here, man. Um, and yeah, I think that duel is a great illustration of what the deal is with this Lysander argument. Like it, it does come from your perspective a lot of the time. Like I think there's arguments to be made for both sides of Lysander. So it's kind of what appeals to you most. I liked Philip's point comparing him to Alex, especially the stuff with the scar and the tokenism of that. Uh, that was good. But I also liked Jeremy's rebuttal to that where he said um, Lysander's just you know using that stuff as tools. He uses a lot of different people as tools to get what he wants. Right, but what he wants is to be the new sovereign because he thinks that he knows better than everyone else. So that goes back to his pride. That was a great start. Thank you, Jeremy and Philip from Hell Reaper Pod. Let's go ahead and dive into the mailbag. Yes, and one note before we start... Um, some of the emails are super detailed and long. Therefore, a few of them were pared down in the interest of time. However, we read them all and they were all really great points. So thank you. Yes, we appreciate everyone that wrote in. Obviously, for the sake of time, we do have to edit some of them down a little bit, but we appreciate you. Don't worry. There's, there's a lot of content. <laughs> you won't be disappointed. <laughs> all right. Let's start off with our 
uh, listener Mike. Thank you so much for writing in. Mike says, in Lysander, we've seen a brilliant and perceptive little boy endure the abuse and twisted machinations of Octavia, only to have his entire world blown apart by a man he once worshipped. Despite various traumas, he marched on with poise and serenity, growing into an honorable and seemingly compassionate young man under the wing of Cassius, routinely risking his own life to save others and paying due respect to people of all cultures and colors. I'm trying not to insert my opinions (laughs) as I read these. (laughs) Sorry, Mike. Okay. Mike goes on. After witnessing hedonism and moral decay embedded within the society of the core firsthand, his psyche struggled to resolve the conflict he saw between the identity and pride of his family instilled in him from birth and the virtues he now wants to embody as a young man carving his own path with the help of Cassius. It's like he's struggling to overcome the society programming he was washed in as a boy. Then, at the rim, everything changed for him, because for the first time, he saw a live demonstration of what the society could have been. Prudent, peaceful, organized, and proud. While it's obviously not what we consider ideal, it must have seemed like a bastion of light in the dark. If he could accept their society as an ideal one, then he could finally be one with both his born identity and his moral philosophy. So he did. From then on, From Lysander's point of view, the story has been propelled mostly by one force and one force only, survival. However, us readers know better. His decision-making is just as fueled by vanity and ego as it is his calculating survival instincts. However, being like 18, he lacks this self-awareness. In this sense, Lysander is essentially a mirror image of young Darrow, whose rash and violent outbursts often serve himself just as much as his rebellion. And Darrow had the luxury of his born identity and traumatic past all pointing in the exact same direction as his moral philosophy. Lysander is not so lucky, and whether he wins his inner battles and comes around to join the Republic or loses and takes up the society banner for good, his constant struggle to align his actions with a clear and consistent moral compass is a noble one. We all hope he sees it through the murky waters, but the fact that he's taking on that journey with such intense effort makes him prime in my eyes. Plus, he's tricky AF. Absolutely obliterated gold knights with the mind's eye and even managed to out-joust Darrow without the mind's eye or any depth perception. That's prime material, people. I said what I said. Wow. Starting off hot. Mike. I like it. I like how Mike is like shitting on Lysander at the same time (laughs) he's, you know, explaining why he's prime. It's just so hard to not shit on Lysander. Even Mike, (laughs) who, who says it ultimately says Prime is saying he's, you know, also led by his ego. So that I think that was a great email to start off with. Yeah, thank you, Mike. That was awesome. I, I love the point you made about seeing the rim kind of as this light in the dark and that this brought kind of his warring identities together in right. one place. It kind of pulled him out of Cassius's umbrella. Right. And he was like, wait, look at these goals right he's like only if we can do the society the right way then it will be okay so i think that's a really great point let's go to our next email this is from jordan aka a girl who hates lysander i'll read this one because it's short (laughs) okay 
Lysander Alun, more like Lysander Agoon, <laughs> is undoubtedly a pixie whose amount of bravery is even less impressive than his level of authority, which mm. is saying something. That is all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. I love it. Lysander Agoon. It's a good one. Our next email is from our friend Daniel. Thank you for writing in, Daniel. He says, I think that Lysander just may be the actual hero of this story. Wow. Brown has created a world that is both fantastical and relatable. His characters are complex. With the exception of Atalantia, Apple, Pax, and Volga, Brown's characters are a mixture of light and dark. Dark Age is fantastic not only because of the carnage, but the gray area of humanity. And that's where Lysander is shining from. Put aside your feelings about Arcos. Just humor me on this. Think about the complexity of his background and his past. He has said and thought time and time again that he does not want to rule. When his Praetorians came, he did not want them because of the power shift. When Cicero suggested taking the Grey's water supply, he was told he would have to cut Lysander down. And when it came time that he would have escaped Darrow by leaving behind his men, he chose to stay. He tried to end the impaled red suffering. There was nothing that could have saved the man. When Atlas offered to take Lysander back to the main forces, Lysander could have rallied the remaining forces loyal to Loon to protect him. But after hearing that both sides would have been killed off by Atalantia's new bioweapon, he tried to end the war on Mercury in another way. And then in Iron Gold, he admits that gold was selfish in creating the pinks. There was no reason other than evil to create them. He has admitted time and time again, gold has lost their way. And I think he has lost his way but not to the point that he isn't redeemable. We give Lauren and Romulus praise, but they were both slavers. The same people that, that say, fuck Lysander, won't admit that Darrow has major flaws, or worse yet, will say that Tactus was redeemable. The hypocrisy is disgusting. Wow, those are fighting words. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I think Lysander will take the morning chair and rule with a blend of... Uh, of both the Republic and the society. It won't be perfect. It will piss people off. But I think in order for that to happen, people will have to die. I think Cassius will die. Cassius will personally go after Lysander, I think. Cassius and Lysander will have an Obi-Wan and Anakin moment. And then I believe that Roan will shoot Bologna. His death may be the pushing factor for Loon. Maybe he will be killed by a Howler, Darrow, or Cassius. Maybe Ajax or Atalantia will do him in. Maybe, just maybe... He's been Brown's hero the whole time. Either way, I've been intrigued by him throughout his journey. His POV gives a needed perspective on the war. For this, and because I believe his good actions have outweighed the negative, I will give him prime with the possibility of being the primus of the ending. Wow, Daniel. <laughs> he had some fight words in there. <laughs> Tactus fans, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of agree with him. Um, he had really good bullet points saying why Lysander has said he doesn't want to rule. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I am curious to see in book six if Lysander will, like, continue to have those concerns with ruling or if he's, like, totally committed now to being the new sovereign. Right. To me, I think the Lysander not wanting to rule is out of necessity it's a survival tactic and it's a ploy to get to the top like i don't see that as him not actually wanting to rule okay i think he's just saying what needs to be said because he knows if he's but he's not saying that he's thinking it in his 
POV. You know, he's not just saying, I don't want to rule. He's like thinking it in his personal thoughts. Right, but it's coming up because of things that are required of him. Like he doesn't want to make all these waves in gold society, when, especially when he shows up again. And he can't do that at the rim because they will kill him. He can't do it when he comes back to gold society because they will kill him. So like he has to acquire his power first and then rule. And so I think he's smart enough to realize that. And if he comes at it from the perspective of I'm a loon, bitch, get out of the way, you know, that's not that's not going to make him any friends and it's not going to get him what he needs, which is supporting forces and an army. So I think like a lot of it comes out of what's required of him in the moment and not necessarily what he actually wants, because I think what he wants is to rule. Yeah, I think I think maybe he's those thoughts he has about not wanting to rule i think he's thinking what he thinks he's supposed to be thinking he's thinking in that moment like what's required of him right but my whole thing is that because it's internal and we're reading from his point of view you know i do think he thinks that he doesn't want to rule but then the closer he gets to power he's showing more and more that he now is like, I'm the only one who can shepherd everybody right. into the right path. What I would say then is, I, I guess if he's thinking he doesn't want to rule, then why is every single action he's taken leading him to the position he's in? Exactly. Bucket <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, is ant. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. As always, Daniel writes in um, for most of our episodes, and it's always very appreciated. Yes, Daniel, we appreciate you. Thanks. Next up, we have an email from the Florian Trout. They say, Lysander is the worst. Killed the Lancelot of the series and is a total pix. Hope he dies a gruesomely painful death at the hands of, <laughs> this is spelled Cassius, <laughs> via a slow beating. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Harsh. Uh, obviously, that was vote for Pixie. <laughs> I love that the prime people have these really long arguments to like justify it. (laughs) And then the pixie people are just like, fuck this dude. He's a pixie. (laughs) Uh, This is why he's a pixie. You know why. (laughs) Thank you. The Florian Trout. All right. Our next email is from our friend Thomas Boomhauer. You can check out his podcast. High key obsessed where we make an appearance. Yes. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, Very nice to meet you on Zoom and also to hear from you again. He said, I think Lysander is one of the hardest characters to evaluate. He certainly has prime characteristics, unless you fall into the space racism is an automatic DQ camp. That means disqualified. Right. He has shown to be a capable fighter and an exceptional one when using the mind's eye. If the mind's eye is something he learned and not some form of the figment, then his mastery of the mind's eye indicates primeness as well. He's also very intelligent and orchestrated a rebellion against Darrow's forces and fooled him as to his identity in a few face-to-face encounters. However, I think ultimately his naivete, delusions, and his propensity for thinking with his dick land him (laughs) in the pixie camp. He is too naive about the role of gold and their ability to justly rule the solar system. He also doesn't notice how many decisions he makes because of his attraction to various ladies. He is young. He is very young. (laughs) 
for fan casting, I see him as Harry Lloyd, who played Viserys in Game of Thrones. That is... Um, gets the gold pour on his head. Danny's brother, and he's a total dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a harsh fan casting. <laughs> he thinks it's because uh, that he would be a good casting choice because the narrator for Iron Gold sounded a lot like him. I think the actor is too old, but someone with that vibe. Um, he says, like many, I hate Lysander, but he is undoubtedly an awesomely complicated and well-written character. If he realizes the error in his ways and becomes more like his namesake, which you can listen to in part one from Heather. Yes, Thomas gave us the same history uh, connection that Heather did. Yes, then he uh, he says then he may yet earn the title of Prime. So this is kind of a he's pixie now, right? But opens up the possibility for him being Prime in book six, right? And we definitely agree that Lysander thinks with his dick too much. I mean, he learned his lesson. <laughs> And then his crush got blown in half. So, as he learned his lesson, though, <laughs> I don't think you know. Obviously, Atalantia. I don't think he was like necessarily wanting originally to marry her. But I mean, he's not going to pass up an opportunity. <laughs> he also doesn't seem upset about it. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure he wasn't. You know, meeting a lot of ladies <laughs> out with Cassius, so. I guess you got to take what you can get when you have a half-melty face as well. They'll, they'll get it fixed. <laughs> I thought he was going to keep it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm, maybe Adelante will make him fix it. <laughs> like, or can you turn your head <laughs> to the side and don't look at me? <laughs> Actually, put this bag over your head. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, very great insight. Um, I, I am curious to see if he becomes prime in book six. So next up, we have Chris, a.k.a. at Pax underscore all underscore Reaper on Instagram. Like most of Pierce's characters, he has his own motivations and backstory and is so well fleshed out. All of the controversy comes at the crossroads of, quote, well-written characters and, quote, good ones. As far as honor and integrity goes, I think Lysander is a very selfish and heartless dude. That's the gist of it. He advocates for slavery and has little to no compassion for those he deems beneath him. Darrow once said, in a world of monsters, it takes more to be kind. Well, Lysander grew up with a legitimately abusive grandmother, is married to a manipulative, sadistic psycho, and unfortunately, it shows. <laughs> He's fallen right into the cycle of monsters beget monsters. Will he get out? Unlikely. Mm. So I feel like Chris is leaning Pixie. That sounded like Pixie to me. Yes. And he does have a poor... Um, line of influencers. I know. He just has a lot of bad people around him for most of his life. Just couldn't follow Cassius. and I guess only the first 10 years and then like the last two months, really. Yeah. Those but remember how with it he was as a 10-year-old? It's not like when I was a 10-year-old and like didn't pay attention to the people around me. Right. He, he like, you know, he remembers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our next email is from... Probably Sierra, or definitely Sierra. No, probably. <laughs> <laughs> they say, 
I can't defend his actions, but I do love his character a lot. He is a great character. He is young, nuanced, and complex. A product of society and manipulation. Also, I appreciate his point of view for finally giving me a clear picture of Darrow and why he is so deified by the masses. So while I think he is going to reap what he is sowing and it will be well-deserved, I really love his part uh, in the narrative and I'll die on that hill if I need to. No, Cassius will pick you up. <laughs> no no dying on hills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I mean, obviously his chapters show us, you know, a whole side of what's going on that we, you know, couldn't see without his point of view. Um, and you get Cassius in. Right, I would agree. He's a great character. His chapters are probably my favorites from the... the second series of like any of the characters. I like Lyria now, even though I used to hate her. <laughs> okay, next up, we have Riley Gravel. Lysander seems to be wrestling with wanting to be better than his grandmother while also being nervous of what Ajax and Atalantia think of him, all while obviously having a guilty conscience about Cassius. Then you throw in the fact that he has a win over Darrow. Of course, he has to take that opportunity. The problem is that I think Darrow has changed from when Tactus threatened Lauren's family. He wanted Tactus to change and truly believed that he could. I don't think Darrow honestly feels that anymore. I think Cassius will eventually have to kill Lysander. And as Lysander dies, Cassius will realize Lysander is sorry. Wow. He will be sorry when he's dying. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was made for more. So we have a Cassius even more regret. Oh, yeah. Well, Lysander will be sorry. Obviously, Cassius will feel sorry yeah. if he kills Lysander. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I would like to see that happening. You want to see Cassius kill Lysander? Uh, yeah, yeah, yep. Okay. That'd be cool. You're on the record. On record. <laughs> Our next email is from Cassie Hurley. She says... Lysander is a whiny little pixie. Everything he does is in response to his loss of status. He wraps it in flowery language about gold being shepherds and stewards of humanity and all the other bullshit that colonists have spewed for centuries. But at the end of the day, he wants to be on top of his aunt. Nice one, Cassie. Cassie says bazinga. (laughs) And I I got a good laugh when I read that. Everyone saying that his heart is in the right place is kidding themselves. One can make that argument to a point, but as soon as you hear his visceral reaction to Rona, all arguments about his goodness go out the window. He is a space racist, period, full stop, and don't at me with the colors aren't race bullshit. That's a red herring argument because you know what I mean. The color cast system is the man-made system of oppression that exists in the post-racial world of Red Rising, just like the systemic racism that has existed for centuries. If he made an effort to learn and grow beyond those ingrained biases, it would be one thing, but unapologetically space racist equals pixie, unless you're Apple. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. I feel you. (laughs) <laughs> Daniel might fight you, Cassie, but uh, I'll defend you. Maybe Apple will come and say hi. That'd be cool. 
I love how we just give him a free pass for all his terrible well, behavior. Well, the flowery language gets me. I mean, let me let me just say, <laughs> I don't know if we're doing what are we into again, but I'm like super into Bridgerton mm-hmm. on Netflix. And I don't know if we're doing what are we into again since it's the same week. We are, but go ahead. Okay, I'm into Bridgerton on Netflix. <laughs> and it's like Gossip Girl meets... Um, you know, Pride and Prejudice or Downton Abbey. Wow, that sounds and right you, up your alley. You know how much <laughs> I love British people. Oh my God. And how much I love the 19th century. And it's it's amazing. So my point is, I feel like Apple would like really fit into, you know, the, the, going, the going to balls and wooing ladies. Oh, and I would definitely. love to just meet him. <laughs> and be he, wooed. He could be like the Duke. <laughs> And if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Erin is just flipping I'm her flipping hair. I'm flipping my hair. <laughs> a lot right now. <laughs> Woo! I'm getting hot thinking about the Duke. That's great. Ben, you have to watch this. Okay, maybe. I John hates me because I keep like repeating after them while the te- while I'm watching it. Honestly, it sounds horrible, but... I'm like, shouldn't you be with your governess? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Okay, that was not bad. Thanks, Cassie. Yes, thank you, Cassie. And... That was, I think, our hottest pixie take yet. Yeah. Unapologetic. And, yeah, the visceral reaction to Rona, agreed. Terrible. That was like, what? Where'd that come from? I can see why that turns you off, Cassie. Okay, our next email is from Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie writes in, So, Lysander, I should start by saying I am not rooting for him. I don't agree with his ideas on society and golds being the shepherds for the other colors. That's BS. It's enslavement. But his character is exactly what I wanted and expected when he was allowed to live at the end of Morningstar. Since the beginning of storytelling, the child of the enemy that's allowed to live comes back with a vengeance. Even with this saga, Nero Augustus did it. When Pierce announced a new trilogy after Morningstar, I was like, yes, Lysander will be an antagonist. I also, yeah, that's some foresight. (laughs) I had no thoughts for him. (laughs) Stephanie says, I also love reading his chapters. His point of view in Iron Gold of the Moonies was one of my favorite things. I agree. That was pretty kick-ass. But the question at hand, primer pixie. In Iron Gold, I would say pixie. His behavior of defying Cassius Mm. pissed me off. In Dark Age, after he survived his institute or radiation in the desert, I now say prime. Wow, Stephanie. Mm. That was unexpected. He also was successful at tricking Darrow and company. Damn him. But he's also still a pixie too. (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) The way he killed Alex, shaking my head, no honor indeed. And he believes himself to be an entitled iron gold. So my verdict is he's a prime pixie. Wow. Got a fence setter here. I don't know what this means. (laughs) Predictions. Lysander probably won't completely trust Apollonius, and they might turn on each other. Lysander will certainly go up against Atalantia, and there will be a big duel with Darrow and Cassius, for sure, maybe two against one, with Lysander's mind's eye and Darrow and Cassius's razor skills. It will be epic. Oh, shit escalates. (laughs) This is a fun take. I like how she split it up between Iron Gold and Dark Age. Right. Yeah. Because that makes sense. He is kind of a, a pixie. Or he's like a um 
disobedient child. <laughs> right. Like, no, I know better. I'm going to go save the hot girl. He is annoying. In Iron Gold, you're just like, just listen to Cassius and shut up, man. Right. And Pytha, too. Yeah. Thank you, Stephanie. Hot take. We got a fence sitter. <laughs> Maybe Stephanie will land Primer Pixie by the end of book, book six. six. Yeah. She really seems to be holding out. Our next email is from Dram. This is their howler name. Yes. If you haven't done it yet, um, the Red Rising and Beyond Facebook page has an official howler name list. Wow. All right. They say, now for that bitch Lysander. I can't help but respect him. We celebrate Daryl for making it out of slavery, but seem to diminish the accomplishments of a kid who made it out of full childhood mind rape abuse, (laughs) a.k.a. diddling. I tend to see the prime versus pixie dichotomy as a question asking whether someone wavers in the face of their code, and Lysander does not. His code is to create a better world, even if it's space racist AF. He can see the futility of war, but also has the balls to ride a sunblood full speed at the most dangerous man in the legit universe. His code finds its home in simply building a better society than his psycho grandma. And I think Howler number one is setting him up to be a huge protagonist in the next book. Also, how badass is the let's quote your, let's quote your favorite poet before I kill you bet. 100% prime. Rude. 100% prime. Dram, that was very confusing because you started the email off saying, bitch Lysander. <laughs> and then you immediately switched gears. <laughs> that was a pretty quick gear shift. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> um, hot take. Also, I think uh, they bring up a really good point we should point out saying... Um, how you see the prime versus pixie argument that right so do you see it as you don't like the person or do you see it as they're hardcore you know don't break their code fearless etc right it's all very personal i have a different definition than that of how i grade my prime versus pixie so mine's more like do i like you (laughs) like would i want to hang out with you oh you're all about good hang bad hang yeah Okay, wow. But, like, I see how, you know, obviously Pierce describes a pixie in Red Rising, the first book, as, you know, the flippant right. youth on the grav boots, drunken with ladies, which that sounds fun. <laughs> 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 Maybe I'm a pixie. <laughs> All right, thank you, Dram. Next up, we have James Schellenberger. James says, oh, right, James titled the email. Quote, in defense of Lysander. Oh, wow. We so know where this we'll is going. see if we'll, <laughs> it's a dram situation <laughs> and it flips back. Um, James says, it's true most have come to hate Lysander simply because as his story arc reaches its apex, it ends Alexander's. That's very true. Mm-hmm. His killing of Alexander was a practical and necessary thing for him to get his plan into motion. There really was no other way. He also understood that he would likely have been beaten in a razor duel. It was a rational transaction. What he didn't do, however, was kill Pup 2, and that speaks to his character. Could have killed her and probably should have done so. Whoa. James. (laughs) No. (laughs) Don't kill Rona. Okay. James goes on to say, lastly, the mind's eye is tech, Mm, I believe. Interesting. 
It is a passive version of figment. For the mind's eye to work, the user must release control of his or her natural senses. The mind's eye works when the user basically turns on the autopilot. Whereas figment is an active AI interface. They're related, I believe, and they will be tied together at the Oculus. That is a cool idea. Some prime theorizing. I like it. That means it's intangible then for Apple. Right? I get unless he like pops it out of Lysander's <laughs> brain. His nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, James uh, concludes by saying, My book six prediction for Lysander is he finds he becomes more disenchanted with the precepts of the society and eventually must ally with the Republic to save humanity. I believe he will have a reunion with Darrow and Cassius and an understanding develops. This occurs when Lysander gets his memories back and we discover that his grandmother, Octavia, had her daughter and son-in-law killed to prevent their rise as societal reformers. I believe this act was done by the Grimace clan as their ambitions intersect with their want of being as close as they can to the center of power, if not holding it themselves. They have all shown the ability and desire to do whatever the sovereign wants, no matter the morality of the act. Mm. That's a good prediction. We'll see. Like, obviously, Pierce left us those breadcrumbs for a reason. Mm-hmm. And he always brings them back. Hansel and Gretel always True. find their way home. I'm still just not sure if I can get on board with Lysander being, quote unquote, redeemed. But maybe. You'd be like, sure. We're going to put you in the corner, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't come to the Howler meetings. <laughs> Thank you, James. Great email. Um, you know, lot to think about there. I I really like the uh, mind's eye being tech. I really like that idea. I haven't thought of that yet. All right, our next email is from Maya. She says Lysander isn't prime as fuck. Lysander is undoubtedly skilled and intelligent. So intelligent and keen to show showcase it that the gaping holes in his self-perception and moral reasoning are so much harder to stomach. While he does have the ability to self-reflect, his overconfidence in his own abilities often rules his behavior. Deeply assured in his own judgment, he often overlooks both the wisdom and danger of older characters with greater experience, constantly ignoring Cassius's warnings and being handily manipulated by Atalantia and the Raz. Coincidentally, my favorite Lysander quote is, Cassius was right, (laughs) closely followed by, I know Cassius was right, again. He also declares himself an iron gold before experiencing battle, a frankly embarrassing boast to make after observing so many elite goals throughout his life and seeing that it is an earned status, not a birthright. While Lysander does admit that there were flaws and injustices in the system, he fails to make the final leap that better minds people like Virginia have made before him. Someone with such a narrow view of the world and determined to mold it to fit his ideals is a disaster in the making. He does have the capacity for kindness towards low colors, trying to rescue captives on the Ascomani ship in the field of impaled soldiers, but it is the condescending kindness of a man stooping to pet a stray dog. Damn. <laughs> he thinks of himself as a shepherd, the lower colors his flock to be pitied and protected. That's well said, Maya. I know that Lysander had an incredibly traumatic upbringing, 
that he was practically brainwashed by Octavia. I know that society is not just an idea to him, but a place of emotional comfort and remembered safety. But just because he didn't suffer under it, it doesn't mean he can discount the experiences of the very many who have. Lysander has so many gifts and some genuine humanity. And seeing that squandered on an immoral cause and justified with faulty reasoning is frustrating to say the least. Until his common sense catches up with the rest of him, he will remain the worst of all pixies and worthy of a Rona headshot. Damn, Maya. <laughs> Sounds like a prediction. We have so, like our howlers are so good. I love you guys and all these emails that we've been sending in. The, the reasoning is I'm just like, I'm feeling torn in so many directions right now. I don't know what to choose. I mean, we've always known all the howlers are very attentive and read the books many times. Right. So, um, Obviously, we're going to get a lot of really good input from our listeners. It's good you feel torn at this point. I know. We have a couple more emails, and then we'll have the voicemails, and maybe someone will, you know, really pull you to one side. (laughs) With Maya's email here, I just really love the comparison to the condescending kindness of a man stooping to pet a stray dog. I do think that is how he sees low colors for sure. It's it's definitely like Lysander in our society would definitely be a mansplainer. Yes. You know? And like it's like I don't care how smart you are. You can do it in a way that isn't as condescending yeah. as that. He definitely would. Um and then I also like the idea and this is one of the first times I've kind of seen this where she we've been so focused on the Cassius and Lysander confrontation and maybe Cassius taking out Lysander. She throws in the possibility of Rona doing it, which Vengeance I think, yeah, for her long lost love. That's, I could see that for sure. And I would be cheering that for, that would be awesome. I would prefer <laughs> a Rona squish where she <laughs> stomps on him with her Drakenjager. Oh, <laughs> God, that would be hilarious. Like a Hulk smash situation where she throws his body back and forth. That'd be fun. That would feel good. Tiny God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next up, we have Logan from Zef Barbecue, a.k.a. Zef Hawaiian, and fun little tidbit, little little tease for the next episode. Zeph is coming on the podcast as a guest to speak to us about Darrow next week. We're excited. All right, let's hear from Logan. So I know I'm definitely one of the few Lysander sympathizers out there. And I'm here to tell you that he is without a doubt prime, my prime, my goodman. Never has Darrow ever met an opponent with the intellect and cunning that Lysander has. Hear me out. I know this is starting to sound like a space racist circle jerk, but I'm here to tell you that he has some very solid, strong points. First and foremost, he is one of the strongest foil personalities that mirror Darrow in the whole series. His quest for, quote, justice and stability starts to border on obsession towards the end of Dark Age that matches perfectly with Darrow's obsession to end the war. The main examples being... Lysander going so far to throw himself into the midst of one of the gnarliest battles in modern space racist history and Daryl killing Wolfgar and telling the Senate to go fuck themselves. 
Take that level of passion and hate aimed at one another, multiply it by the tutelage of the most deadly woman in the galaxy, the mental and physical abuse of the most powerful person in the galaxy, and having the strongest blood of anyone of anybody in the galaxy, and you have yourself a, a cocktail for greatness, even if he is a hella space racist. <laughs> Think about the level of mental integrity you would have to have to soldier up to that. Through fighting on the front lines and being reunited with the Praetorians, he realizes that he needs to do more than just name drop the loon name. As the desert slowly starts to consume him, he realizes he's just another cog in this machine. What I'm saying is that in a weird way, not only did he earn his scar, but he also earned a big old piece of humble pie. <laughs> Eat your pie, Lysander. <laughs> Anyone that says that Lysander is a pixie is gravely mistaken. He fell in an iron rain, survived the Ladon, slaughtered Ajax's ducks in 1v1 combat, convinced the Fear Knight to trust his plan, and above all else, duped Darrow. Like, come on, sure, his point of view and colorism is absolute shit, but the man absolutely has theater, to say the least. And speaking of that, he has allied with Apollonius, one of the only men to ever give Darrow nightmares. And to round everything out, because I'm rambling now, is the Republic is not working, and Lysander sees that. He spent 10 years in the belt dealing with the repercussions of his new world. Yes, it's space racist, but see it from Lysander's point of view. At least he's better than Octavia. <laughs> to round this all out, consciously, I do not agree with his actions or his views, but logically, from a peerless scarred standpoint, Lysander is prime. And whoever wants to challenge my honor can meet me in the bleeding place. Wow. Also fighting words. <laughs> so I kind of feel like Logan, a.k.a. Zeph Barbecue, is admitting that he you know, wouldn't want to be Lysander's friend. Right. Um, so his prime vote is more from Lysander is clearly capable in terms of intelligence and, and fighting ability. Right. It comes back to what we've been saying, like what makes a character prime or pixie to you. And I think that what Logan is saying is he sees all the problematic things about Lysander, but also he sees a lot of the same things that make him, very formidable opponent for Darrow and especially among like the golds, his deeds and actions are definitely prime and one of an iron gold at this point, especially in dark age. You know, Logan has good points. True. And I will give you guys a plug. If you like looking at pictures of really, really amazing food, uh, go ahead and give Logan a follow. It's Zef underscore Hawaiian. That's Z E F underscore Hawaiian and it's Hawaiian barbecue and I'm looking at it now and I'm very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Every time I see one of his food posts, I'm just like, I need it. Now get <laughs> in my belly. <laughs> and we're from Kansas city. So, you know, we love barbecue. Fuck yes, we do. <laughs> and our final email is from our friend Patrick Lawrence. Patrick says, Happy Howler Days. This is it, the day we've all been waiting for. The chance for us to set aside our differences and come together to shit on the pixie of all pixies, Lysander off fucking loon. <laughs> First, let's acknowledge that the reason Lysander is so controversial and compelling 
is because of how well Pierce has written him as a foil for Darrow and how Lysander directly relates to the overall plot. For the many reasons we love Darrow and Demon Prime, the opposite qualities exhibited by Lysander are what make him a pixie. Although faulty arguments can be made about Lysander being prime, his intellect, defeating Darrow on Mercury, the mind's eye, the common fallacy with each of these arguments, and the overall theme for Lysander being a pixie is that he lacks agency in defining moments. Lysander's story through Iron Gold is driven by men and women with greater conviction, such as Cassius, Dido, Romulus, and Diomedes. His main act in Iron Gold was to surrender to the Rem's demands rather than stand fast like his prime mentor Cassius. In Dark Age, Lysander continues the lack of agency by being told to fall in Atalantia's reign on Mercury rather than volunteering for it. Even his defining quote-unquote prime moment of defeating Darrow in the final battle of Heliopolis is tainted by the fact that Darrow and the Free Legions had already been decimated by disease, nukes, EMPs, starvation, and constant battle, none of which was Lysander's doing. Even after such a victory that granted him substantial gravitas with the gold remnant, Lysander still lacks the balls to confront Atalantia after Calendora informs him of her involvement with his parents' death, and instead will continue to happily be her little concubine until a convenience is provided to him by the actions of others to better his lot. Spicy. (laughs) I could go on, but if such reactionary lack of agency and drive is what defines a pixie, then Lysander is the poster child and patron saint of pixies everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) As far as predictions for Lysander, I want to dive into Ben's conspiracy corner for a second and serve up some spicy takes for book six. Welcome. Play the theme music, Aaron. She's not playing it. It will be revealed that Atlas Ara, not Brutus or Arcos, is Lysander's real father. (gasps) The most compelling... The most compelling aspect of this is that Lysander will have to reconcile his father's brutality and his belief in gold being the shepherds of humanity. And it would explain, you know, Atlas is seen in Dark Age and being willing to be captured. Where it just like goes along with his yeah. plan right away. Yeah. Interesting. Atlas will be able to give Lysander tremendous insight about his mother that no one else can or will give him. It would also mean that him and Ajax are half-brothers from other mothers which will spice up their interactions as well. (laughs) It's getting incestual. (laughs) It also means that Alexander was the true heir of Arcos, which is the title of of the chapter in Dark Age, when Lysander killed him. It will be revealed that Kalendor is actually alive, and Glorastes will reintroduce her to compete as Lysander's love interest. Okay. Did we see her die? I can't remember. The villa in which Kalendor dies... So this is Patrick's support. He says the villa in which Kalendora dies was owned by Glorastes. Lysander brings Kalendora Hamanthus flowers, the oil of which are the cornerstone of the franchise when disguising the deaths of Darrow in Red Rising and Severo in Morningstar. Lastly, she dies off screen, just like Cassius allegedly did. Ah, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I didn't remember if didn't we remember saw her, her dead. dying off screen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Patrick's on to something here. This is deep in the conspiracy corner. Love it. When Kalandora was on her deathbed, Glorastes asked Lysander, do you love her? To which he replied, I never had the chance, but I believe I would. 
To which Glorastes responds with, then I will find a cure. Wow. Some close reading here. I love it. And then his last point, or his last prediction, is Lysander will have to decide to follow his vision for the fate of the society and stay loyal to Atalantia or follow his heart and love of Calendora. Interesting. And then his last um, bullet point here is not so much a prediction, but I seriously hope Cassius kills Lysander the way Obi-Wan should have killed Anakin in Star Wars. And uh, you are the chosen one. <laughs> you guys just wanted to hear me say that again, right? Again? Have, <laughs> have you said it before? Yeah. And this is the same point that Daniel brought up. Um, ben, can you remind us what the scene in Star Wars was for those of us <coughs> like me who have seen the movies but do not worship them? Um, it's episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Right after Anakin's downfall, he's you know turned to the dark side. He's killed a lot of people, including children. Also, spoiler alert, Anakin becomes Darth Vader. I think everybody knows that. I don't know. Some cool people might. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so Obi-Wan goes to the planet Mustafar to confront him. By the way, Ben is just saying this to me, looking me in the <laughs> eye. He did not look this up. He just remembers all this crap. And they have an epic lightsaber duel. Obi-Wan wins the high ground. And he says, don't try it. And Anakin tries it, and he gets lightsabered up, hardcore, almost to the point where he's killed, loses his legs, um, and then he gets like burnt by like kind of lava. He's like sitting next to a lava flow, similar to Lysander, and he burns alive. And then, but he survives. He's saved by the Emperor, and they turn him into Darth Vader. I didn't realize he lost his legs. How's he walking around? He's got robot legs and like mm. robot arm. He's he's mostly robot. A cyborg. Yeah. Interesting. Good to know. And the reason that's relevant is because Anakin and Obi-Wan had a master mentor situation. They were like brothers. They spent a lot of time together. and Similar to Cassius and Lysander. Right. And Anakin kind of basically betrayed Obi-Wan by turning to the dark side. Sounds familiar. <laughs> you were the chosen one. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? That was not bad. Okay, thank you, uh, Howlers, for writing in some really great arguments on both sides, some right in the middle, and we're excited now to bring you some voicemails mm. from our listeners. Mm -hmm. All right, our first voicemail. Hello, Howlerpod. This is Kat, a.k.a. Hi, Lady of the Howlers, here to give you my really quick two cents on my Sander, as I've realized after four failed attempts to um, construct this voicemail. So we're going to go through this very quickly. So I liked Lysander at first because I liked his mind and the way it worked, and he reminded me of Virginia. However, he's a raging space racist. Um, so our first point of contention is his complete failure to develop his own system of belief after he grows up with ample opportunity to see the failures of the society, even acknowledges them, um, and sees the some of the evils of the rising he sees the evils of the society he sees some of the failures of the republic and he has a lot of time to analyze these things as he's in isolation from them and all the politics in the space of cassius and learns all these things from cassius in the 10 years he spends with him yet he completely sets all this aside 
to just become a product of the society and his upbringing and doesn't develop any of his own um, individualistic thoughts, really, even though he claims he does, um, and becomes Octavia 2.0, even though he kind of despises her. Irony. Sounds tasty to me. Um, second, we have this lovely scene in Dark Age where Darrow brushes aside some light resistance. Pixie. We have another scene in Dark Age where he comes across his cousin, who he claims to respect, and uh, instead of doing the prime thing and dueling him, he just shoots him in the head, uh, Pixie. We've got one thing I will say. The mind's eye is pretty cool. That scene in Dark Age where he kind of obliterates people in the desert, even though he's, like, blind, pretty cool. Uh, he gets half a point for prime there, I guess. Um, he also spent some time with Cassius, which automatically makes him a little bit cooler. That's like half a point in favor of Prime. Then we have another point in favor of Pixie. Uh, she let Atalantia make him into her little bitch, Pixie. Um, again, he's a raging face racist. Ew, Pixie. Uh, he takes part in an iron rain despite minimal training, sort of, which I, I guess makes him a little bit prime. We'll give him, we'll give him one point for prime for that. Um, big one. His justification for gold rule being a necessity is very shaky at best. He argues that gold rule brought 700 years of peace, which isn't really true because it also brought 700 years of slavery and any opposition was kind of just erased through propaganda and execution. While the Republic apparently hasn't yet brought peace in the 10 years it's existed, which is true, but he fails to acknowledge that the gold empire wasn't built in a day, and they annihilated an entire species of people in order to build it. Uh, Darrow is dealing with a solar system-wide conflict while his wife is doing everything she can to maintain equality and revolutionize the minds of people who were indoctrinated in a 700-year-long hierarchical caste-based ideology. Um, they're doing quite a bit, and also, he's completely failing to acknowledge the Dark Revolt, the Moon Rebellion, some, you know, small, non-peaceful things that happened during the Gold Reign. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of pixie, I guess. Uh, also, he derived his justification for his own power through his lineage rather than his own merit, which is really pixie thing to do in my book. That is... You you can pave your own way. Using that is, is, is that's kind of flouncy. Like even in the traditional way of frivolity, like that doesn't make you hard because your lineage is from the lineage, whatever. So, um, in conclusion, he's not a pixie quite in the traditional way, but he lacks a certain strength that defines a prime in my eyes, and he's a hypocrite, plain and simple, which therefore makes him a pixie. That's all I've got for you guys today. Um, holler out. Hello! Thank you, Kat, for calling in. Wow, there's a lot of info there. I think uh, Raging Space Racist was <laughs> the theme of the voicemail. I think she hit on a great point. I think the thing that is most annoying about Lysander is how hypocritical he can be sometimes. And she pointed out a lot of great examples of that. And... Uh, I don't know. I think maybe even more annoying is him knowing firsthand how horrible Octavia was and yet saying we need to return to that um, 700 years of quote-unquote peace when he knew the ins and outs of of how it wasn't peaceful. Right. That was I think Kat, you know, really hit that on the head. (laughs) I agree. You know, with all the the dark revolt and everything, like, what's he talking about? Seven hundred years of what peace? Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, they're like hiding genocides and right. And he exterminating he's, people. He's got to know at least half of Octavia's <laughs> evil deeds. So, yeah, what what piece are you talking about, Lysander? All right, our next voicemail. Let's hear it. Hey, Howler Pod. It's Ryan from Jersey again, representing the New York, New Jersey Howlers. You have finally arrived at the one character I've been waiting this whole time to call on about, Lysander Alun. Is Lysander Prime? It's complicated. Is he space racist? Absolutely. Privileged? Most definitely. Pixie? Nah. If there's a figure from history that makes me think of Lysander, it's Gaius Octavius, a.k.a. Octavian, a.k.a. Caesar Augustus. Born of a noble family, he receives an excellent education and spends some time training with the troops when conspirators assassinate his great-uncle Julius Caesar. Caesar posthumously names the young Octavian his heir, forcing him to spend a great deal of his early adulthood battling both his adoptive father's foes and friends before declaring himself the first Roman emperor. His reign is known for its expansion and prosperity. He was a political mastermind, a beloved symbol for the troops, and the champion of virtue within the empire. He had a great idea of the promise of Rome and spent most of his life trying to live up to it. Lysander watches his guardian fall from power and uses his education, cunning, and martial skill to rally a coalition towards his side. With the Rim's alliance and the marriage to Atalantia, it would appear as if Lysander is now the de facto leader of the society remnant as we move into the sixth book. And yet, cries of fuck Lysander can be heard throughout the fan base on a level that I've not seen with any other fandom. I don't even remember Snape, Joffrey Baratheon, or Kylo Ren getting this much hate. On the issue of space racism, Lysander most certainly is a space racist. I have to admit, it was pretty gross the way he was talking about Rana in the standoff with him and Alexander. However, I think Pierce is trying to show us that Lysander is having a crisis of conscience. He grew up in a staunch pro-caste atmosphere where his grandmother had brainwashed his mind to conform to her ideas. Throughout his journey, many agents are challenging this viewpoint. First, you got the Rim, who have reformed the caste system as a more respect and discipline-based hierarchy, where gold is expected to suffer alongside the low colors and share their burdens. Second, uh, he just learned that his parents themselves were reformers and that Octavia had them killed. If you want proof that his views are changing, consider that Lysander appoints Rowan T. Flavinius, a gray, to the office of ducks during his triumph. It's clear to me that Lysander's views will lead him to clash with the rest of the society remnant, forcing him to make some hard choices about who his allies really are. On the issue of him being privileged or spoiled, so what? Lysander's proved his worth. He spent a decade in exile while other golds bunkered down on Venus, gorging themselves on shellfish. They may have welcomed him into their loving embrace, but he chose to spend his formative years hunting down pirates in the asteroid belt with Cassius, where he felt he could do the most good for his people. It's not like Darrow didn't get any extra help either. Dude's a, basically a billion-dollar side project of Quicksilver's. Lastly, Lysander's not a pixie. Dude is a razor master, an equestrian, a strategist, a master of the mind's eye, a scholar, and a skilled politician. He's got more scars than many do in the Free Legion and is brave enough to face down a posse of gold and even lead a charge into Darrow's flank in Heliopolis. Yes, he gunned down Alexander in a very undignified way, but come on, what choice did he have? I do believe that under less pressing conditions, Lysander would have gladly accepted Alex's dueling challenge. I've had conversations with other fans where they say Lysander's motivations and deeds fall very short of Darrow's. So let's examine 
where Darrell was at the same point in his life. When he was Lysander's current age, Darrell would have been a young cadet in the academy at the beginning of Golden Sun, I think, probably. This was not Sword of the Rising, Reaper of Mars, Piss Your Pants, Darrow. He was getting low colors killed, posturing as Nero's golden boy, and secretly considering bombing every gold in the society, both good and bad. My point is, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know who to side with or what the best course of action was to achieve his unclear goals. To me, that's the same place Lysander is right now. I don't enjoy going too far with speculation, but I do think that in Book 6, the fate of the conflict between the Republic and the society will be up to Lysander. He's being pulled in both directions. Fealty to his grandmother, his wife, and his legions, or fealty to his parents, Cassius, and maybe even his conscience. Is Lysander, Prime, or Pixie? The jury is still out, because he is in a great position to do the right thing. I am not a Lysander apologist, nor am I his defender. I just don't want to rush to conclusions. I have faith that if Pierce wants to give Lysander a redemption arc, he'll do so in a way that leaves us satisfied. I think Lysander's chapters are on par with Darrow's for my favorite in the last two books. Thanks for playing these voicemails on the chat, guys. My girlfriend always gets a kick out of hearing me on the podcast. Pick Sunt Leonis. Thank you, Ryan from New Jersey. Yes, there's a lot of excuses going on there, Ryan. <laughs> a lot of excuses. A lot of, it sounded very much like you were going to end with a prime Lysander. So we have another fence sitter waiting for book six. I think it's probably a safe place to stay. No, that was really good, though. I really enjoyed that. I like the comparison to Lysander, where he's at currently in his life, to to young Darrow, both trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) 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 Appreciate the voicemail. I don't know if Darrow's goals were unclear. His goals were clearly to bring down the society, and I think... Right, but he didn't know how he was going to do it. He was about to suicide bomb everybody. (laughs) that's true (laughs) but that was a direct manipulation from harmony yeah um i'm just saying you know i think we need to be a little more team darrow (laughs) maybe not in iron gold obviously but you know at least the first trilogy all right let's see what our next voicemail is all about hey guys this is justine from virginia and i'm calling with an unpopular opinion for your lysander episode Lysander is definitely not a pixie, and I am ready for him to turn prime. Let's remember that he's the one that hands Mustang the sovereign scepter after his grandmother's death. We know that he is learning that his family, or who he thought was family, is poisonous. And after that reveal about the pandemonium chair, his grandmother, and what happened to his memories about his mother, he is poised for a turn. I'm ready for him to be tempered by Mustang, work with her to build a thriving society at last, so Mustang can finally get a vacation. And I say, well, Lysander Alun for sovereign, president, whatever comes next. Wow. Wow, Justine. (laughs) So this... Again, feels like a fence sitter, but leaning towards Prime, thinking for sure he'll turn Prime in book six. Poised for a turn. That sounded pretty Prime to me, and she she was uh, nominating him for Sovereign. Or President. (laughs) (laughs) I think Mustang does need a vacation, and I, I like the idea of Mustang and Lysander having some sort of interaction where they can both, like, be like, look how smart I am, <laughs> you know? I think it's interesting that there's so many howlers out there that 
see a, a Lysander redemption arc happening. I I can I I I'm still like leaving that open, obviously. Right. I don't think that he can be redeemed, but I, I don't know. I I, do I, I mean, obviously, like Pierce is capable writer; he can do it. But like, well, Pierce left us some breadcrumbs to leave that option open, especially his parents. That's true. We'll see. Next step. <laughs> All right, we got a howl. Oh, back. <laughs> <laughs> I like when we get those. <laughs> Put a smile on my face. Thank you, Mysterious Howler, for howling at us. How back at you. All right, let's go to our next voicemail. Howlers, this is recording number three. I'm officially drunk. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to do this and we're going to get it done. Pixies, pixies. There were never such a bunch of pixies. Never question the power of gold notes, sir. They about to get what they deserve. Lying, conspiring, every little thing that they are plotting. When a certain gentleman arrived from Mars, they shit the bed and he went, oh! Merry Christmas, Howard! <laughs> Incredible. Who was that? We didn't get a name. <laughs> Are you I, my best friend? <laughs> I have a feeling it was Claire who called in last year and sang the oh, Howler yeah. Carols. We, yeah, we need to <laughs> throw back to that. That was so amazing. I really like that song. I started bobbing my head. I need to add it to my liked uh, Spotify songs. Yeah, make sure and write that one down for the musical. We're going to have to get the rights. <laughs> Can we have the rights? <laughs> or we? she just needs to be in the musical. Yeah, we'll give you a part. You can come on and sing that for us. Awesome. Thank you. That was amazing. Pixies, pixies. All right, our next voicemail. Let's hear it. I'm a sympathizer of Lysander. I'm a house loon for the win. A loon Invictus. Anonymous prime vote. Hey, why don't you step up to the plate and tell us your name so that we know who you are. We'll add you to our list of sympathizers. And we'll send you a free LSD packet. That's Lysander Sympathizer Disorder, not the drug. <laughs> All of it. They're straight to the point. Prime. We got vote for Prime. Let's hear our next voicemail. You know what Lysander kind of reminds me of? And this is this is an odd thing to say, but it's it's Matthew fucking Morrison. Have you ever seen Matthew? So Matthew Morrison kind of became famous in Glee, and it was kind of like a oh he's kind of cute, oh he's like a decent person, okay actor kind kind of thing, and then he just turned into a real fucking creep. I can't look at the man without being creeped the fuck out. I mean, I saw him at the Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting. Never mind that sexy fucking Grinch shit he did. I mean, forget that. I mean, that would make your skin crawl. I mean, you guys, you guys be from uh, fucking Mars. You think that that shit's okay? I mean, like, that was bizarre. He's like that. That's like Lysander. He's, he's, he was like kind of decent. He's like, okay. All of a sudden, I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know where the turning point was, but he's a sexy Grinch guy now. And it's it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not It's not okay. It's not good with my soul. It's not good with the world. It, it's not okay. 
And that is why Lysander is a pixie bitch. It's a pixie bitch. I, oh! Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> you know, my thoughts exactly. I don't know what Matthew Morrison from Glee has to do with Lysander. It was that he's like the he's sexy the Grinch. Grinch. And that. So I googled Matthew Morrison Grinch because I de- I did not know what she was talking about, and I, I saw something about this on the internet. I have to agree. It's the, quite disturbing. But it he didn't do his own makeup, so it's not really his fault that he looks insane. <laughs> <laughs> the nose on this Grinch. Whose idea was that? Okay, so so if Lysander <laughs> does anything Grinch related in book six. This howler is definitely out on him. <laughs> Just Matthew Morrison <laughs> equals <laughs> Lysander. Incredible. I need to dive into that a little more. I'll get back to you guys. Thank you. That was freaking awesome. <laughs> Enjoyable. <laughs> okay, next voicemail. Salve, howlers. It's your boy, Logan Sandoval, coming at you from California. I've already written you guys, but I really want to get this off my chest about Lysander because everyone thinks he's a pixie, and I am one of few that do not. So like many eight great authors, Pierce Brown draws upon the fact that good guys and bad guys are subjectively based on the individual set of circumstances and viewpoints within the fantasy solar system they live in. Our perception of any characters and their due processes are a result of placing your own personal sense of morality onto that character. Lysander is not only a phenomenal character, but also why he can be argued as morally virtuous as well. The Lysander is a pixie statement gets thrown around quite a bit, and it is only based upon the fact that he's a space racist, which I get it, it is awful, and he is terrible for a lot of fucking things. Lysander are many things, but is absolutely no way a pixie. One obvious action that my fellow howlers always seem to throw out first and foremost is when he executes Alexander. I know everyone's salty about this. I know everyone gets fucking pissed. But <clears throat> Lysander is an extremely practical minded thinker who cycles through the multitude of outcomes in any given situation before arriving at a decision. In his scene with Alexander, he creates a mental checklist of him and the situation that's brought him to, to this point, including Rona. And I know everyone gets salty about Rona and him talking shit about her in his head. And I get it. I understand it. But you got to give the guy some more credit. Both of them, he feels as though defeating him honorably is definitely not going to work. The obvious answer is obvious. To hell with the fucking honor. Especially after opting for honor over practicality in the desert fighting scene with Seneca. The point being is that one should fight with the best tools they have at their disposal. Between Iron Gold and Dark Age, we see Life Center come to understand his abilities and learn to apply them, sometimes through trial and error. I started to truly acknowledge and understand the failures of society and believes himself to be one of the answers to these shortcomings. Even though his political experience is not fully developed, his insight does make him a well-equipped individual to serve as one of the answers. I believe his two largest political examples, quote-unquote, Octavia Alun and the Raz, have taught him enough to sense, quote-unquote, in the core. His time spent with Octavia, which taught him to be a brutal fascist leader, and in his time with the Raz, which teaches him as a more feudal commie representation of society. His reverence towards the latter in many ways can shape him to rule in a more fair and measured manner, 
even by society standards. Speaking of the rods, life interposes no schemes or ulterior motives when dealing with them. Knowing the risk of revealing his identity, he does so anyways for what he believes is the common good for both the rim and the core. He honors their demand to have him take part in the iron ring on, his, on their behalf. This alone means life center ain't no fucking pixie. Apollonius, on the other hand, which is a big point to the end of the last book, is something out of left field. When dealing with a wild card like him and his adoration for violence, you should consider the ramifications. Apollonius deceives Darrow and Severo with the afterword, but in no way, shape, or form was it a strategic or political move to basically abandon him, knowing what a valuable ally what a valuable ally he could be in dealing with Atlantia and the society who's basically part of Apollonius's endgame. But, unlike Darrow, Lysander makes no deals with that nocturnal devil. He allies with him for their shared mutual gain while recognizes that autonomy with no rules or hierarchy set between the two. Darrow could have easily done the same thing with Apollonius and would have another... Man, y'all cut me off when I'm drunk and trying to get this shit off my chest, trying to fucking be a Lysander sympathizer and no one else is out there trying to fucking support me, cut me off at the fucking cord. I see how it is. Also, maybe a little high. But, so you can see in my conversation, unlike Daryl, Lysander makes no deals with the nocturnal devil. He allies with him for their shared mutual gain and recognizes autonomy with no rules or hierarchy steps between the two. Daryl could have easily done this in the same way with Apollonius and would have added another psychopath in his arsenal. I do think it's fair to have disdain for a character, whether or not you understand or align with their motives. But by gold acknowledgement, Lysander is by far prime as prime can be. That man is smart, clever, and becoming a true force to be reckoned with. Beat, he beat Darrow in one-on-one combat, and nothing is more valuable by society and Republican standards. Thank you for coming to my Lysander TED Talk. Fuck all the Lysander haters. Fuck y'all. Come at me. I'll meet you in the bleeding place. See me next Tuesday. All right. Logan, off. Sandoval, out. Thank you, Logan. Logan, Wrote in and called in. He's getting he, extra credit this he week. Well, <laughs> he is adamantly saying Lysander is prime. So he's really trying to pull us to his, his team. All right. I think that's all of the voicemails and all of the emails. We did it. It's the moment that we've all been waiting for. Yes. Now Ben and I will decide. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Have you decided? <laughs> Are you prepared for this? I'm super prepared. Do you want to go first or second? Um, okay, so we don't need to really talk about um, Lysander anymore. We've obviously exhausted. I think everything's been covered. <laughs> we've exhausted the issue. So I will say that I think if prime means to you that you stick to your values and convictions, that you're good at fighting, that you don't balk in the face of imminent death. If you have courage to do what is necessary, um, then you are prime. So in that sense, he is prime. Mm-hmm. However. <laughs> However. <laughs> because I uh, get to define what pixie means to me. That's true. Also. As everyone does. Yeah. We all have the freedom to choose. Yes. I think that... His actions in fighting for a dead society that promoted the enslavement of millions and millions of people across the universe, in not only enslavement, but in indoctrination and lying to 
the low reds and the obsidians and creating false gods. Mm-hmm. And he wants to bring that back thinking that is the pinnacle of perfection. Mm. That is ridiculous. <laughs> so he's clearly brainwashed, which is not his fault. However, he's fighting for the wrong team. Therefore, he's a pixie. Wow. Pixie. Also, he killed Alex, so fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Let's hear your reasoning. Okay, so I think where we have to start is there is a difference between having sympathy for a character and having empathy for a character. If you're a sympathizer, you're like agreeing with what they're doing. Like you're sympathized with their cause. So you're cool with that. We're not cool with it. So you're not a (laughs) sympathizer. No, I do empathize with Lysander. We get to know him. We get to go through the things that happened to him in his life. And they're terrible, some of them. He's been put in some rough situations. For sure. So we can have empathy for Lysander at the same time. And that helps us to understand him as a character, right? It makes him a better villain when he's not just like a cardboard cutout bad guy, right? So I don't like that characterization of Lysander as just like... Right, he's not fa. Right, yeah, exactly. He's not all baddie. Exactly. So once again, it comes back to the question is like, what does Prime mean to you? What does Pixie mean to you? I let me just say, I'm very much fuck Lysander. I love that. It's very fun to say. I also like to make fun of him. He's very easy to make fun of because he, he does stupid shit. A jackass who's full of himself. So I'm always going to make fun of that character. But if you can have a character that makes this like we can do a three hour episode on him, yeah, and it. Longest Uh, episode yet. (laughs) It creates this kind of reaction where we have people passionately arguing on both sides. To me, I'm coming at it from a storytelling angle. That character is prime. So you're saying Pierce is prime because he wrote (laughs) such a, a character with such depth that we can each find a different viewpoint of him. So to me, Lysander is prime. If he can inspire this kind of hate and this kind of passion to defend him at the same time, that's a prime character to me. All right. We're divided. (laughs) A house divided cannot stand. Get out of my fucking house, Ben. (laughs) I just want to be clear, though. He still sucks. (laughs) And I want to be clear, too, that although I, I stand by what I said, he is a pixie, I do still, you know, leave open the option that he could repent and in the end right before he dies, like do something for the Republic and, you know, amend for his wrongdoings. I'm almost more of a hardliner on that. I don't want to see him redeemed. I would like him to like lean more into this. The heel. Yeah. Being the bad guy type stuff. Ben loves a good bad guy. (laughs) Okay. There you have it. Howlers. We have one vote for prime one for Pixie from Howler pod. And then of course, a lot of votes on Instagram for Pixie. <laughs> and then, you know... The I mean, the Howlers have spoken. It was 83% Pixie. Well, on, on that vote. But yeah. I, I think the most passionate um, write-ins and voicemails mm-hmm. mostly were for defending Lysander. So we, we still... The debate is still out. We <laughs> will come back to you after book six <laughs> to see That's true. what happens. We'll have to revisit this episode for sure. Can't wait. All right. You know what it's time for? What are we into this week? I'm so excited because I'm super into Bridgerton. 
as I said earlier in this episode, if you have Netflix and if you are super into 19th century England and or, you know, Pride and Prejudice, Downton Abbey, then or, you know, Vampire Diaries, I kind of get that vibe from it. Uh, please give it a watch. Um, this I, is like the third time Aaron's tried to sell me on watching this I TV have to show say, you know, ben, <laughs> ben and my husband are not interested. So please give me a ring if, if you're into it because all me and all my girlfriends are. So check it out. It's super good. Also, don't watch it with young children. There's a lot of nudity. Oh, wow. For Netflix, you know. Yeah. It's like PG-13. Well... That doesn't sound PG thirteen. Some nice butts. Ben, what are you into? I am into a movie. It's called Tenant. Have you heard of this movie? Yes. I heard it about it from you. <laughs> <laughs> so this was like supposed to come out over the summer and it was supposed to be like a big blockbuster movie, right? Yes. But it got ruined by COVID and as did everything else. They tried to release it in the fall. But it just like didn't work, so it's like kind of a failure of a movie, quote unquote. In terms of uh, box office success, yes. And then like also people are kind of shitting on it because it's hard to understand. So you're really selling this for us. This is where it all comes back. But baby. wait, there's more. <laughs> so I like this movie. I thought it was good. I did not understand anything that happened in it. And you're probably one of the smartest people I know, so that's but daunting. That's okay. You know, I think if I watched it again, I'll probably enjoy it more and ha- understand more of the the time travel weirdness going on. But basically, it's James Bond became a time cop. And he's like traveling back in time, trying to save the end of the world. That's all it is. We've got a crazy Russian guy who's going to destroy the world. And we've got a great looking, hot super agent traveling back through time to stop it from happening and then there's like weird backwards fighting and stuff just but you liked it and then robert pattinson's in it and he's great you know i do like robert pattinson hey so basically if you're like cool with time travel and just accepting that it's confusing just go with it then yeah. yeah anyway it was a fun movie there's lots of really cool stunts lots of great action my review for it i've i got on letterboxd it's like a social media site for movies and you can just like keep track of everything that you do and review stuff my review for tenant was i had no idea what was going on but i liked it question mark (laughs) 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 all right i'll have to watch it i love uh time travel but if you didn't get it i don't know i might not it's got a great cast but you Lots like of pretty people, pretty locations. Uh, ben uh, kind of related it to a movie like Inception, where like you just have to accept that reality. So it's the same filmmaker that made The Dark Knight, Inception, Dunkirk, all those movies. Mm, those are all good. Yeah. So watch Tenet. All right, Aaron, what's coming up next week on HowlerPod? It's our final character study episode. We did it! (laughs) Pop champagne! (laughs) We are studying our protagonist, Darrow. We are. I love Darrow. I'm excited. So what I think we'll do with this one, you know, it's not so much a debate, Prime or Pixie here. Obviously, we think he's Prime. Obviously. So if you're writing in for the Darrow show, 
you don't need to tell us primer pixie. primer pixie just tell us like your favorite darrow moment we're yeah. just gonna it's gonna be kind of more of like a celebration or give darrow. us like remember when pierce did this nobody needs to justify you know darrow being prime is all i'm saying and we don't you, need it's not if an you really want situation. to you know throw a log on the flame of my anger sure you can write in and tell me darrow's a pixie but i'll find you <laughs> <laughs> I'll find you. <laughs> so, you know, you know, that you've been warned. not creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Howlers. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. That's at HowlerPod. Check out the Etsy store. Email us at HowlerPod at gmail.com. Voicemails can be left at 1-800-516-1540. Find links to all this and more at HowlerPod.com. That's H-O-W-L-E-R-P-O-D. Tell a friend about the books and spread the word that there is a pretty fun, silly podcast that you can (laughs) listen to if you are in need of friends. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you say Darrow's a pixie, I don't want to be your friend. (laughs) Rate and review us five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only... Then we will diddle your mind in the pandemonium chair. <laughs> I was going to say when you're a little boy, but I don't want to say that. <laughs> no, we're definitely not going to do that. So just like as you are, you'll, we'll mind diddle Adults you. Adults only. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and again, thank you to all of you who wrote in and who left voicemails. Um, this has been like a super fun week, especially mm-hmm. after... Um, you know, having COVID, it, it was a great way to come back. Yes. Thank you to Heather and Miles and Nick for their contributions as well. And we love you guys. Thank you, Howlers. Omnisphere Lupus. Oh. Oh.